Good morning, Camp CC. Please stand together as we worship. Today is the day for transformation and change as we have people that are coming forth to be baptized today and declare that Jesus is the Lord of their life.
Hey, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. We're flipping things backwards today, starting a little earlier, and then we're going to celebrate through worship and then baptism as well. Who knows? Maybe God's calling you, and, and this is the first little uh, part where you didn't even realize you came to get baptized today, and there's an opportunity for you to get baptized uh, a little later, and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, but welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. In case you're new to us, uh, welcome to our church. We love entertaining guests. We love it more when you become part of the family. So we hope that you're on that journey with us. And if you're online, off campus, uh, you know, and still connecting with us, we want to say welcome to you as well. I want to start off this morning by congratulating all you Los Angeles Dodger fans Yes, they won since the last time I was on the stage. They won the division, and uh, good for you. And I just want to remind you that we are a Bible-believing church. We don't, we don't hang around sports that long. We jump into the Word of God, and so leave that stuff at home. And with that in mind, let me just share. <laughs> wow, I don't understand. I don't understand what the laughing's about. Um, <laughs> uh, with that in mind, I wanted to share, several weeks ago, I mentioned uh, that if you are uh, have been trained in our quad discipleship ministry and you are ready to take on a new quad to let us know so that we could let our church know that there are people ready to disciple them if somebody wanted to go on a deeper track. And uh, we did have several people respond to Pastor Jim. And so I want to let the church know that if you are ready, and this is a good season for you, to dive into like a year-long commitment of a discipleship track, we would love to advocate for you to get in the word more, memorization of scripture, all that, uh, and meeting with about two or three other people and going on a journey where you kind of double down in your faith. And so if that's you and you're like, yes, I need that, I want that now, I want you to contact Pastor Jim. Uh, very, very simple. Jim at camcc.net is his email. Jim at camcc.net uh, is his email. And you can say, hey, I would like to be discipled. I would like to be a part of the quad ministry. And we will pair you with the leader who's ready to uh, dive into a deeper track. And so if you'll do that, that would be amazing. I would be so excited about that. Uh, and uh, with that being said, hopefully you brought your Bible. Say, hold your Bible in the air if you have it. Uh, and if you have your phone, you can hold your phone in the air. That wells it's good. I want to remind you that in this, in the coming weeks to come, we are going to be experimenting by, by by taking the scriptures off the screen and seeing how that works for us, getting ourselves more used to uh, diving into the Word of God together. We're actually also looking into different lights that maybe keep that ambiance of the room that we like so much, but at the same time make the words pop off the the, the page for you. So we're talking about those things type two. So make sure you bring your Bibles uh, so you're not surprised. Well. The year is 2012, and the 49ers are facing the New Orleans Saints in the first round of the playoffs. It's a year and a game that will go down in infamy. It's a uh, go down in history. It was a pretty tame game until about the fourth quarter. And then the 49ers and the New Orleans Saints started trading touchdowns back and forth, back and forth uh, several times over. Uh, I, I believe the game ended in overtime when Alex Smith did a rollout bootleg and ran like 30 yards for a touchdown. Uh, it, was, it was exhilarating, I was hyperventilating, and I was there. I was on the 50-yard line, top deck, watching the game, saying, hold me up, don't let me fall. It was just such an exciting game, and you know, everybody's screaming and yelling. We're walking out of the stadium. It was incredible. I believe it was my first ever playoff, 49er playoff game, and I had gotten there early. 
Uh, about two or three hours before the game starts, they'll let fans into the stadium. I got there as soon as the gates opened. I went to the uh, visitor side of the field at Candlestick Park, walked all the way down to the second row. And the reason you could do this because all the people hadn't been there yet who were going to sit in those seats so you could stay there and you could watch. The best area in the whole stadium to watch the 49ers in their stretching or the New Orleans Saints. They'd all be, before they even put their pads on, they come outside, they have their warm-ups on and they're just stretching. And so walking by is Alex Smith, Vernon Davis, Frank Gore. And I'm like, Frank, it's me. You know, as if he would notice me or something like that. And then uh, several minutes in to this whole, you know, experience, I see him. Drew Brees. It's about 50 feet in front of me. And I'm thinking, ah, he's the enemy. You know, and uh, there's these two ladies that are in row one. I'm in row two. And these two ladies are obviously transplants from New Orleans. They've made the trek from New Orleans to San Francisco for this playoff game. And they're like, Drew, 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 over here, Drew. You know, and they had like a Louisiana accent. So, so you know, and, and, and that stadium's going to be full of red jerseys. And so it's not, it's not going to be like they're unnoticeable. They're very noticeable. And, and they're trying to get Drew Brees' attention. And I want you to get the picture here because here you have a lady over here who's shouting out Drew Brees and a lady over here shouting out Drew Brees and me right in the center, right? And so they're like, Drew. I'm like, there's no way he's going to give him attention. And sure enough, it works because there's so many red, you know, uh, uh, jerseys in the stadium. He looks over to the white jerseys, which is what New Orleans was wearing, and, and sees that they're, 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 they're Saints fans, and he waves at them. He looks at them, connects in their eyes, and they're like, Drew, Drew, and then he's waving at them, and I'm right there. I'm going, we're going to break your legs. It's a true story. <laughs> and I know he saw it, and I know that he heard it, because, you know, so they're right there, and I'm like right here. That's all he could see. We're going to break your ankles, right? We didn't break his ankles, but we did win that game, and it was an awesome game. There it was. I love you, and I hate you two inches apart. <laughs> true, over here. We love you. You're amazing. We're going to break your legs. I love you and I hate you literally two inches apart. Now, I must say, Drew Brees is a devout Christian. He's a philanthropist. He's generous towards Christian causes. But how many know that once you get on that football field, there are no more Christians? We're just warriors. Our warriors against your warriors. And we're going to break your legs. Uh, I share that this morning because it gives a great depiction as to where we're headed today in our passage. How is it that you can be loved, admired, cherished, and yet hated, reviled, and detested all at the same time? Two inches apart. How can you be admired, loved, cherished by one person, and then maybe in the same family, hated, reviled, detested by another? Today we'll find out what, it, what the true test of being a leader is. If you're going to be a leader, you're going to have to be able to deal with both sides of those worlds. There are people who love me. There are people who hate me. They might even be related. They might be two inches apart from each other. I haven't changed, and yet I have this person feeling this way and this person feeling that way. Have you ever wanted or wondered what it takes to be a leader? Have you ever wanted to lead something? What should leaders expect 
of their experience in their leadership journey and what principles are there for everyone to learn in this process. Whether you're a teacher, a dental assistant, a nurse, a construction worker, a business owner, developer, entrepreneur, or even a mother, what leadership experiences are common to all? And how can you principally lead better in whatever endeavor you are a part of? When you try to lead something, how will people respond to you? And how do you respond when that response is positive or even negative, maybe even two inches apart? For that, we're gonna be in your Bibles in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Hopefully you brought a Bible with you. Again, we will be experiencing this, experimenting this fall with taking the verses off the screen, so I hope you guys will get into the pattern of bringing your Bibles with you or bringing your phone with you. Uh, the reason for this is we want you to dive in and highlight. Bring a pen, bring a highlighter, bring a pencil. Write in your Bible, it's okay. God will not punish you for that. I used to think he would. He won't. It's just you diving in and saturating yourself in the Word of God. When you open your phone up, there are usually the apps that come with your phone, We'll also have, the Bible apps, we'll have the ability to notate and to highlight. This is the things that we want to continue to invest in our own spiritual lives together. So make sure you bring a copy. And if you don't have a copy of the Word of God, when you leave today, go to the left-hand side. Say, Pastor Dave said I can have a copy of the Word of God. We would love to give you your first copy. Please don't take one for your 55 family members um, because um, we want to give you a gift, not your family members. Does that sound mean? I don't know. Um, that's all right. Buy your family their own Bibles. All right, so uh, bring your Bibles and make sure that you're hanging out with us in it. The overarching question today is, what are some things you should know when trying to be a leader after God's own heart? By the way, thank you for the tech team with this new fancy-dancy thing where we can have me and the question on the screen at the same time. Isn't that cool? Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. Uh, what are some things? Yeah, you can clap for them. Uh, uh, what are some things that you should know when you're trying to be a leader after God's own heart? Why do I share it that way? Uh, David is classified in the scriptures as a man after God's own heart. And so when he is leading something, we can assume that he's leading something after God's own heart. So what are some things that you should know when you're trying to lead something after God's own heart? You want to do it God's way. The first thing we're going to see is that there will be those who will love you. Just know that. That's the, probably the best part of leadership. There'll be, part, there'll be people just ready to jump on who will adore you, who will love the direction you're headed. They will just love you, and that's what we see in the first part of our passage. We'll spend four verses on that, and then we'll spend the rest of the 16 verses on something else. But right now, we're gonna focus in on how there are those people who will love you when you're trying to be a leader after God's own heart. I want you to see this in verses one through four. Uh, here's what it says. Follow along as I I read, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, uh, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Your days of sheep herding are over, David. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he had loved him as his own soul. It's a deep, deep connection they have with each other. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Let's stop there. What are some things you should know when trying to be a leader after God's own heart? Where there are people who will just naturally gravitate to you. 
There are people who will just naturally want to jump on board with you. They are uh, people you could classify in the love category. They are positively affected by your leadership. There will be those people. And that's what Jonathan was for David. David is affirmed in his leadership by both Jonathan and his father, Saul. Saul wouldn't let David go back to his sheep herding in recognition of his leadership. He's being uh, um, elevated. That's what happens when you slay a giant, which shout out to Ralph Rittenhouse last week for coming and, and our pastor Emeritus and sharing the word. He'll be back in December, by the way, uh, uh, to share uh, some, some Christmas love. Apparently, he loves Christmas. I'm a little bit of the Grinch, so we're bringing him back. And uh, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll tell us all about Christmas and how wonderful it is, and it is. And so uh, that's what happens when you slay a giant. You can't go back to sheep herding anymore. Now nah, I need you. And so he gets elevated in, in the system of, of Israel, the nation of Israel, and uh, by Saul. And then Jonathan, his heart and soul seems to be knit together with David's. Their souls are knit together. Their spirit is bound with spirit. Life is closely bound with life. Uh, the idea of, of this binding is to be bound or tied together. Depending on the context, it can even be used of being conspiring together, depending on the context. Jonathan loves David, according to verse 1. They're knitted together, against, according to verse 1. They make a covenant together, according to verse 3. And it is said that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Man, this is strong, strong terminology. These are two dudes that have a great um, common ideal, and they're, they're uh, unified in that common ideal. And it probably has something to do with the Lord and the cause of God. It must be mentioned here, and I have to do a little bit of an aside here, because of this strong terminology, uh, many have misrepresented the scriptures to insinuate that this is a sexually loving relationship. This is a homosexual relationship. It's actually almost used as a primary argument for our affirming friends who would say, the Bible is affirming of homosexuality. Look. David and Jonathan were so close, they were in a homosexual relationship with each other. Uh, now, before we jump on the high horse here, and I, and I always like to do this when we're talking about these issues, before we jump on the high horse here, let's realize that while homosexuality is immoral according to the scriptures, immoral in that it's not God's way, there are several other things that are immoral as well according to the scriptures. And I just want to highlight a couple of them so we can all be on the same playing field. Cohabitation, uh, the bigger word for that would be fornication. Any sex before marriage um, is immoral. Most divorces of our day are immoral. Very few times do we find a divorce that actually have biblical grounds. Very few times do we find people who actually wait till they're married to, to have that sexual union, whether they're living together or not. So before we start the high horse, you know what I'm saying? Let's recognize that we all do not measure up to the kingdom and glory of God and his standard. And we have come, many of us, to that realization, repented of our sin, and God has cleansed us as he can do with any other type of immorality. Are, are we on the same page on all that? 
I don't want to. I don't want to be uneven in when we talk about immoralities. But I do have to deal with this because it is kind of the banner passage. Uh, it's clearly a stretch from what this is. The, the word of God is saying nowhere in here does it talk about any kind of a sexual relationship. It falsely assumes that if there's a strong bond between two men, it must be sexual in nature. The biblical word, the Hebrew word for sexual union, most often used in the scriptures is yada, which is the idea to know someone. And we go, what, what, really, that's sexual? Well, think of it this way. They went into the tent and they knew each other, okay? And so that is the biblical word that is used of sexual union most often. That word is never used in talking about David and Jonathan and their relationship together. They were great friends. They both loved the Lord. They wanted to put God first in everything, and that's what united them as brothers so where you could say they were closely knitted together in purpose. They, they, they loved each other. They had a commitment to each other. They had a, a covenant. We're gonna serve God and his purposes over our own desires. We want his kingdom, not our kingdom. When you are that devoted to God, you find a great bit of unity with each other, but that doesn't mean that it's sexually... Uh, um, derived in nature at all. And I just it's, just, a, it's just a big stretch. And again, I spent some time here because this is the banner, kind of the banner-waving passage for our affirming friends, and we just don't see it that way. Uh, but they do have a very, very close relationship. So close that here Jonathan even hands down to David his princely clothing in verse four. I want you to go back to it and see it. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan is Saul's eldest son. So in certain respects, he's the crown prince to the throne of Saul. And instead of viewing David as a threat to the kingdom that might be his one day, he hands down his, not priestly, his royal garments to David. The firstborn prince gives his royal garments, his royal regalia, to the lastborn son of a farmer. The dynamic here shows that jealousy and envy and animosity and competition does not have to rule the day. It's possible within the heart of humility to say, I'm not gonna recognize you as my competition. I'm not gonna be jealous of you. I'm not gonna be envious of you. I'm not gonna wanna hurdle you so I can get to where I wanna get. I actually, in all humility, just want God in his way, and so much so that I'm willing to give you my princely garments. You wear them. How about I give you the kingly garments? the royal regalia, and how about you be king? Why don't you become the heir apparent, not me? Now that's completely foreign to Western thought. That's completely foreign to anything that we learn from childhood, right? <laughs> you know, Rather than see what you want and go grab it, how about I set it aside and give it to you so you can go grab it? And in a stroke of some amazing biblical irony, whereas David could not receive garments from his father, Saul. In the last chapter, he can receive it from his son. 
you want to lead something, you need to know that there will be people on there who will latch onto you, who will gravitate to you, who will love you. You need to know this. But you also need to know that there will be another side as well. What are some things that you should know when trying to be a leader after God's own heart? Number one, there will be those who love you. And number two now, there will be those, get ready for this, who will despise you. It's just the nature of the beast and leadership. If you wanna lead anything, you're gonna have your people who are love where you're headed and people who are your detractors. I really wish you wouldn't do that. Those who will love you and now those who will despise you. And I want you to see this, really the larger section of our passage in verses five through 16. It says this, and David went out and was successful in whatever Saul sent him to do so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul and with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang one to one another as they celebrated. And this is what they were singing. Saul has struck down his what? Thousands. Love for you to highlight that underline that, circle that, that's significant. And David has struck down his what? Tens of thousands. Highlight that, circle that, underline that. That's so key to our storyline. And Saul was very angry at this saying that displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David 10,000s. And to me, they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but what? The kingdom. What if he comes after my seat? And Saul eyed David from that day on, and the next day, a harmful spirit from, from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. And then Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David against the wall, but David evaded him twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and he had departed from Saul and Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people and David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David for when he went out, he came in before him, whenever is that phrase is of going out and coming in, just think war. And so what's happening is Saul sending him out to war, the front battle lines of war, hoping that what? That he'll be killed. But every time he sends him out, what happens? He comes right back in. Why? Because God's protecting him. He has the favor of God on his hand. What are some things you need to know when you're trying to be a leader after God's own heart? There will be those who despise you. It's just a nature of leadership. David continues to flourish in his leadership position and Saul gets jealous. He hears this whole song about how David is uh, attributing David to, to killing tens of thousands while Saul's only killed thousands. And just understand, it's not like they're saying we prefer David over Saul. This is hyperbolic terminology. It's not like literally he killed 10,000 and literally he killed 1,000. This is just a great many. And what they're doing is talking about their leadership and proud of it. 
Man, Saul has killed thousands, and now his mighty warrior David, who serves him, has killed ten thousands. Who can come against this great kingdom and the God of this kingdom? They're celebrating that they're winning. But Saul can't see past the differentiation in the details. Well, that means he's better than me. And if he's better than me, then what's left for him except for to take my seat, to take my kingdom away from me? I already know that God has, has lifted his hand of favor off of me and put it on someone else. I think it might be him. And so from that day forward, Saul's mind's eye was filled with suspicion towards David. And from that day forward, he kept a jealous eye on David. Therefore, he tries to kill him. Literally has a spear in his hand. The idea is like a royal scepter. And he says, I'm either gonna kill you my royal scepter or I'm gonna kill you by sending you to war and having you die as a casualty of war. But God continues to protect David in all that he does. And in fact, sending him to war just made him more popular with the people because every time you send him out, he comes back. And when he comes back, we've defeated another foe. We came back with the booty. We came back with the spoils. When David comes back, we sell it. Send him out again. He just keeps on having victories for Saul in their mind. But in Saul's mind, all he could see is threat, fear, and what's next to come. The war campaigns made the people love David even more, and the war campaigns made the fear inside of Saul grow even more. Now, this is gonna come across as a complete aside, and that's okay, I promise you I'm heading somewhere with it, all right? My daughter, my oldest daughter, the last couple weeks asked me a weird question. She said, Dad, can you, can you teach me street smarts? Can you teach me some street smarts? I go, Audrey, where'd you even learn that term? Well, I've heard you say it before. And I think I, I'm old enough now where I need to learn street smarts. Audrey, when have you heard me talk about street smarts? Oh, well, you know, there, we, we went to camps together and you were the speaker and you would talk about all these experiences when you were a kid to all these high school students. The last camp I did was in Lake Tahoe and I asked them, would you let me bring my family so I'm not away from my family and whatnot, even don't pay me, just, just let me bring my family and that way I'm not away from them and whatever. And, and so I'm telling all these stories. I'm like, oh, it's starting to click on me. Uh, I know where she's getting this from because I would tell stories about fleeing criminals um, who are fleeing the police and ending up on the top of my roof of my house when I was a kid with a helicopter with a light on my house going in circles and about 15 to, to, to 20 cop cars on my street. Yeah, that happened. And, uh, and, uh, and the many times that there was 10 and 15 cop cars on my street. Then there was the other time where the, the helicopter is around and he's, he's doing his light like this, which means, which means he can't find them. I figured that out just by being in the hood. You're like, oh, if they, they're moving the light, if, there's, if the light's still and the helicopter's moving, they got him. If the light's going like this, that means they haven't found him yet. What is a 15-year-old kid to do except for to go outside and go explore? Why was I doing that? I go out to the corner and out from the shadows comes a dude with an orange jumpsuit. There's a, there's a county prison not far away asking me directions. Yeah, that happened. That actually, that's not a lie, that, that actually happened. Uh, and so I've told that story before and talked about how street smarts help me get. There's times we were playing pinky. Pinky is a little game with baseball and there's one base. I don't know if you ever played pinky. Playing, playing pinky outside with your friends out in front of your house and you hear, rat a tat rat a tat tat And everybody on the street goes, 
oh, that's far enough away. Um, that's past the train tracks. We're safe. Keep on playing. And continued playing as if nothing was wrong. Just think about that. And so my daughter asked, I think it's time for me to learn some street smarts. So dad, can you teach me some street smarts? I said, okay. Always keep your eyes open, keep your chin up high, shoulders back. Never eyes to the ground, never chin down, never looking low. You wanna communicate that, uh, that, that you're always aware of your surroundings. When you see somebody, look them in the eye, but only look them in the eye for one second. If you look for more, more than one second, it's gonna communicate that you want problems with that person. But you want to communicate, I see you, how you doing? And I'm walking. I got an eye on you, I know who you are. I could, I could, uh, I could you know, describe you. My head's not down, I'm not an easy target. I may be a target that you can win for sure, but there are other easier targets out there because I'm looking around and I know exactly where I'm at. And I'm like, so you always just keep your, be aware of your surroundings. Whenever you feel like something's about to go down, make sure you get out of there as soon as possible. She goes, Dad, how do you know something's gonna go down? Oh, you can feel it, you can sense it, you can smell it, you can taste it. What do you mean, Dad? I don't understand. Well, when you've been around it enough, you can tell when people are acting differently than when they're usually acting and you know something's gonna go down, get out of there. She goes, wow. Dad, I feel like I have so much to learn when it comes to street smarts. And I'm all, I don't know, Audrey. I mean, we do live in Camarillo. Like maybe you don't need to know any of this street smart stuff. Like I have worked my butt off my whole life to put you in a place where you never have to employ these strategies I had to learn to survive the area that I grew up in. Like maybe you're just fine and you don't need any street smarts. You can leave the door open. You know, we've left our garage door open by accident and you stole my rake. I know you did. Just kidding. I mention all that because there's one word in our text that kind of piqued my ghetto sensibilities. There's one word, I don't know if you caught it, there's one word in our story that I'm going, wait a second, my, my hood stank eye opened up on that one. And it's way back in verse 11. Maybe we can get it back on the screen. And Saul hurled the spear in his, or held the spear in his hand, or hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him, what? Twice. Did you see that? Twice. Why did you stick around for the second time? Like, what were in the world were you doing there so that you could do it a second time? I hurled the spear. It missed you. Stay right there. I'm going to pick it up and throw it back at you again. Why were you still in the room? There's actually some great debate as to whether or not this is the same occurrence, like one event where he throws it at him twice, or whether he came back again later and then Saul did it again. We're not sure, but both are, both, it doesn't matter. Like, 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 like David, like, oh, oh, you missed me. Here, let me give it back to you. You can do it again. Like, like, why are you still in the room? And if it was a second time, a second occurrence, why are you coming back to him again? To where he could do this again to you? Like where I grew up, when you're hanging around for a second opportunity, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Why are you still there? For sure, where I grew up, if it, uh, the, the aggressor is culpable for their aggression, no doubt. But if you stuck around for round two, 
then some of the fault goes on you as well. Like you're responsible for what happened if you stuck around some more. And so I look at this and I say, what were you still doing there? Why are you still there? Now, I'm quite certain you could hear this passage preached by 25 other pastors, pastors at 25 other churches and hear something that you're not hearing today. I understand that. <laughs> this is my, my past coming out and, 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 and you get to see it. But I do think it's an interesting observation. How many of you guys thought that? Why in the world are you still sticking around with this guy trying to kill you with the king's scepter? What are you doing there? I think there's an answer to that, and actually I think the answer is the key to David's rationale. You see, the reason is David saw King Saul as God's established king. And as such, it was his job to serve him and be loyal to him. Never mind the fact that God has lifted his hand of favor off of Saul. Never mind the fact that David is already been anointed to be a future king. Never mind the fact that Saul is attempting to thwart the very plan of God. David would not lift a finger against the Lord's anointed. In fact, he would do all that he could to continue to serve him. That's why I came back. Because you're God's king. My job is to serve you and be loyal to you not to lift a hand against you. David was Saul, uh, Saul was David's enemy, but David was never Saul's enemy. I think I said that the opposite. Think the other way. God put him there, and it wasn't David's job to dethrone him. God may have me as king one day, but it's not right now. And I'll know when he has me a king when he installs me, but I'm not gonna install myself but you've been anointed already. You killed the giant already. Do you know from this point forward, it's gonna take about 20 years for him to become king? 20 years. And I will not force that position, and I will not force the hand of God, and I will not step against his anointed, and I will not step against his king. My job is to serve him. And so I came and I played the liar so his, so his mind could be set straight. And he tried to kill me, and I left, and I came back and played it again so his mind could be set straight, and he tried to kill me again. And by the way, we're going to watch for many chapters this happened over and over again. And one thing's going to remain true. David is going to continue to serve the king. and even repent when he lifts a finger against him. Why do I share all that? What's well, our big idea today? That is to say, you aren't ready to be a leader until you have conquered the art of being a follower. You aren't ready to be a leader until you've conquered the art of being a follower. You aren't ready to be a leader that God has called you to be until you have very well conquered the ability to be a follower that God's called you to be. You will be the best leader that you can be when you've learned how to be the best follower that you can be. Never mind that God has lifted his hand of favor off of Saul and put his hand of favor onto David. Never mind the fact that David has already been anointed as a future king. Never mind the fact that Saul is attempting to thwart the very plan and ultimate plan of God. You are not ready to be a leader until you've conquered the art of being a follower. I'm not saying that you should stand by and label some kind of abuse against you or those who are close to you. We have laws that thankfully protect us from such things. But I am saying, 
that many of the challenges in our lives could be solved by a nice dose of humility. And it's very countercultural and very counterintuitive. You are not ready to be the leader that God's called you to be until you've conquered the art of being the follower that God's called you to be. There will be a day where all of us come to a point where we have the opportunity to follow those gods that God has placed before us. There will be an opportunity for us to be tested on that. And the question becomes, will you pass the test? And I'll tell you, if you can't pass that test, you'll never be the leader that God's called you to be. Do you know that even I have an opportunity to rank myself under at some point or another? Lead pastor of this church. There's an elder board I get the opportunity to practice this skill with. Like any nature of things involving human beings, there aren't, we aren't always on the same page with everything we discuss. Of course, we discuss those things together. And by and large, most of the times we find agreement. And then there are times where it may be the will of God that I rank myself underneath the will of the board. And I try to practice that as much as I can. Why? Because you aren't ready to be a leader until you've conquered the art of being a follower. So I ask you, what is it for you? How is God calling you to rank yourself under? What is the path of humility that he has destined for you if you could just get over the desire to fight for your rights? We live in a country that is all about fighting for rights. And thankfully so. I think there's a lot of things that we needed to fight for. Thankful that we have that tool. But the counterintuitive moral ethic of the scripture would be that sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes he's calling us to take the humble road. What is that road for you? Until you gravitate to it, you won't be able to be the leader that God's called you to be. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Father, I don't think it's a stretch to say that humility is in any of our strong suits for any person in the room. And yet, it's the way of Jesus. I am thankful for a country where we can fight for our rights and, and we can demonstrate all those things and there have been some wonderful movements that come out of it. Thank you for civil rights movements and things of that nature. That's, that was good. That was very, very good no doubt. But I'm also thankful that when Jesus was put on an illegal trial, he didn't fight for his rights. Instead, he died for the sin of the world. And he is our ultimate example.
Help us find the balance of when to speak up and when to be quiet, when to, to stand up for what's right and, and to push forward and when to humbly say no. Right now, I think the play is to, to show humility and let God be my defense. Help us find out. Jesus knew when to be silent and he knew when to speak up. Help us have that balance. And may the humility that exudes from our hearts and our minds be magnetic to the world. And then might I say, you promote us rather than us promoting ourselves. I'll wait for you to promote me rather than trying to manufacture, manipulate, and orchestrate what I want on my own. Help us have that heart. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Now we're going to have some wonderful, wonderful activities going on here. There are going to be people getting dunked behind me. And I want to describe what that means. Because some of you might be wondering what the, what's going on there. And at the same time, when they get dunked and they come out, we have a tradition of yelling and screaming and being very proud of folks who are really ready to take this step. When you are new to Christ and a new follower of Christ, Christ asks you, would you take a step of public recognition that you are not ashamed of me? Now today, there's nothing to be ashamed of in this room, everybody's for you. But in the first century, when you got dunked, you were saying, I'm with Jesus, I'm on his team, I'm following him. And when you did that, you put the stank eye of the whole community on you. You could get kicked out of your house, you could be lose your family, you could lose your job, you could lose a lot. So when you did it in the first century, there was no question of what you were doing. What you were saying is, I'm with him. He's not only my savior, he's my Lord. Just as Christ has, was crucified and was buried in the ground and rose up to new life, so have I died to my old self, gone into the water, and been risen up to new life. Spiritually speaking, I'm identifying with the work of Christ on the cross and acknowledging that my old self was wrong and I've repented from the old things, the things of the past. All things have become new. How? Because I was washed by Christ and his blood and I've come up to new life. I'm saying when I'm doing these things, I'm submitting to the scriptures, its definitions of what sin is and, and the standards of God. And, and I'm saying, I might not be perfect and I certainly am not perfect, but I'm yielded to you and I want you in my life. And I may have some deep struggles, but I agree with you. I agree with your word and I want to see God continue the transformation in my life and make me a new human being so that my family goes, what happened to you? Well, I was baptized into Christ. The word just means identification. I identify myself with Jesus Christ. Something happened to me when I had this interaction with God. And I can't deny it, it's changed everything. I'm not perfect, I still make mistakes, but when I make the mistakes, I repent and I ask God for forgiveness and he says he forgives me for everything moving forward, but make no mistake. When people go into the water, when they come back out again, they're saying, I'm with him. I follow him and his word. I'm ranking myself underneath the Lordship of God in heaven. Can you do me a favor? and make sure that whoever does that today fills such a roar of applause as we worship God because they're doing something that's beautiful. They're doing something in obedience to the Father. 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You won't hear all the interactions that we have at the tub, but I'm telling you, they're wonderful interactions. They're beautiful interactions. And I spend some extra time because there's some people in this room who in their stubbornness have said, no, I don't need to do that. And yet the Lord has asked you to do it. Is today your day? If you're willing to rank yourself underneath the supremacy of God and his standards, we don't require that you're perfect when you get baptized. We just require that you define things the way he defines them. We'll interview you right now and we'll dunk you. Some people need it that way, by the way. They can't do that. Oh, I can't prepare. I can't think. I just got to do it right now. Say you. The opportunity is there for you. So with that, let's get started. So if you have made that decision today or if you'd like to make that decision today, we just ask that you would stand right now with the rest of us. And we're going to have you go over to this side. And families, if you want to be able to um, come up with them, you're more than welcome to. You can take pictures, film. This is a joyous moment that we're going to celebrate this morning as we continue to worship as well.
alone in my sorrow, ended in my sin. Lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart has given me. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace.
children of God.
can be seated. Amen. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. All right. Glad you agree with that. Um, hey, we're going to continue to worship God through giving. It's one of the ways the Bible say we can honor him uh, when we put him first in all things, including our, our finances. It's how everything we do here is supported through the generosity of God's people. So thankful you, thank you for your faithfulness in that. Three ways to participate. You can give by going to campcc.net, click and give, uh, texting the amount you'd like to donate to 84321, or there's an offering box in the lobby. Uh, in a moment, we're going to watch a video of what's coming up next. But I, um, while the video is playing, if those of you who are just baptized can make your way um, down to the floor right in front of the stage here, Pastor Kelly will be there. Because um, when the video concludes, we want to be able to introduce you to the uh, everybody and pray for you. All right, let's check out this video. What's coming up next? Cam CC. I'm Jacob Salas, the middle school pastor. I'm glad you're here with us today. If you're looking for a place to serve, please reach out to me because we would love to get more people investing in the next generation. If today is your first time with us, we're so glad you're here. If it's your second time, we're blessed to have you back. If you're a first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. All you have to do is grab a connection card, fill it out, both sides and take it to the walk-in counter in the lobby or scan the QR code with your phone's camera and let the walk-in counter know that you filled it out digitally. You can also put your prayer request on this card as well. If this is your second visit, let us know at the welcome counter and grab a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to campcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. There are many, many great things coming up at CamCC. Be thinking about who you will invite. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. Sunday, October 8th. Ryan Stevenson in concert, 7 p.m. CamCC welcomes double award-winning and billboard-charting artist Ryan Stevenson. I'm sure you recognize his songs from the radio or Spotify playlist. Tickets available on our website or skip the fees and purchase them in the lobby. Or if you want to serve, email katie at camcc.net. October 20th through the 22nd, Women's Retreat. Ladies, time is running out to sign up for the Women's Retreat held at Mount Crags in Calabasas. To register, go to camcc.net slash women. And for more info, contact Allison at camcc.net. Tuesday, October 31st, Trunk or Treat, 6 to 8 p.m. This is going to be awesome. We want you to invite your friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers to join us for a night of huge and rad trunks, a dance party, family photos, a candy cannon, and tons and tons of candy. We need trunks and volunteers. We want to fill out the parking lot with trunks. If you have a growth group, come serve and hang out at Trunk or Treat. This is a night you will not want to miss. Contact Sam at camcc.net for more info. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. My name is Bree Wall. I'm a new worship leader here at CamCC. I'm also part of the Young Families, which means I'll be back here at 3.30 for our water day. So if you are a young family, please join us this afternoon from 3.30 to 5 here right at CamCC in our front yard. Um, something I got out of the message was that I need to be looking at myself to see if I'm following 
before I can be a leader in my following God's word. And I'll continue to seek him. If it takes him 20 years to make me a leader, I'm just gonna chase after him and make sure my heart is right with God. Speaking of bringing other people to church with you, um, please thinking about who can you invite to church? Um, who could you be praying about? Um, we wanna bring more people in to know God. And um, speaking of prayer, Kelly, would you please join us in prayer and praying for the people that were baptized today? Sure, we're also gonna provide uh, some prayer. If you need some prayer this morning, we're gonna have some people, some prayer warriors up here available at the end of the service. If you wanna come forward, we'll be willing to pray for you. But first of all, isn't this amazing church of all these baptisms today? Praise God for that. We're gonna quickly introduce these guys. You wanna share your name? Liam Waller. Madison Osegaro. Eden Osegaro. Chris Bishop. Oh, Joe Olivas. All right, church, would you extend your hands as we pray over these wonderful people? God, we love you. We thank you so much for the decision these people have made. And God, we just ask that your hand would be upon them, Lord, that you would be watching over them, that you would provide them victory, Lord, that you would walk before them, God, that you would remind them that they are a child of yours. And God, we just pray that that transformation, that declaration they made today, God, would be clearly seen by every single person that they're encountering with, Lord. So God, we praise you for the miracle that you're doing today. We love you. And everybody said, amen. So make sure that you come and welcome these wonderful new people and then grab some coffee and donuts. <laughs>